This is Creative Mornings, a podcast showcasing the global creative community. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock. They're the Creative Mornings official partner for visual inspiration with over 100 million royalty-free images and video clips. Their latest infographic looks at 2017's need-to-know creative trends, and it's an easy way to find inspiration for your next project. See it at shutterstock.com trends. Listeners can also save 20% on any of their images and videos. Just use the code PODCASTCM at checkout. Hey everyone, welcome to the Creative Mornings Podcast. This is Matt, and this week we're going to hear a talk from part of a series on magic. It was given in September of 2016 by self-taught designer Brian Patrick Todd at Creative Mornings Louisville, Kentucky, which is still a pretty young chapter. It's been uh, in Louisville, this is its second year, so it's been really cool to see like the way it's played out. This is Brian, by the way. Because at first, you know, when it first started, you know, the enthusiasm was there, you know, it was packed out. But uh, it's crazy to see, like, it's still selling out. Like, it's it's crazy. Like, even the morning uh, of my talk, I mean, within, like, 12 or 14 minutes, it was sold out with the wait list building. And uh, it was just, you know, that's that was awesome. And speaking of this chapter, you actually played a part in bringing Creative Mornings to Louisville, right? Yeah. I'm uh, friends with Ben, um, who runs Creative Mornings here in Louisville. When he first reached out to um, Creative Mornings about bringing that to Louisville, um, I, me, uh, Tyler Deeb, and a few other people around town were a part of that kind of video to to pitch the idea of uh, coming to our city. So, you know, after about a year or so, he approached me about doing a talk, and uh, it just felt right. And uh, it was a big honor even when he asked me because I was really excited when Creative Mornings came to Louisville. Your talk focuses on the topic of magic, and I think that was a really great fit because there is a certain magic involved in the freelancer's story, which is your story, and mm-hmm. it's yeah. such a relatable talk because it hits all of those freelancer benchmarks. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I think for me, when I got uh, started into it, like considering my talk and what I had to say, I'd never really have shared my story and talked about it, but it was like, it became like, as I was shaping the talk more and more, like it just felt like... A, a weight on my shoulders that I needed to just like be as honest as possible about every step of the way. Cause it is like not fun. It's very difficult, confusing and frustrating. Right. You care so much about this thing, but like, you know, you try to find other people and you see them and either they're established in their career or they just don't really understand what you're trying to do. And for me, like, I just wanted to throw all that out there. And then the response from that is like, yeah, people are like, dude, completely different fields, but like very much like they're like, man, I was in the same spot or they're like, man, I'm trying to pursue what I'm, you know, this thing that I love. And I was just really encouraged by that. So it's, uh, yeah, the response has been great. And it's so cool that that was something that like really uh, touched people. More from our conversation afterwards. But right now, here's Brian Patrick Todd speaking to Creative Mornings Louisville in September of 2016. Enjoy. Um, first of all, I want to say like uh, how uh, happy I am to be here this morning. Um, as a designer, typically I'm behind a desk uh, or a computer designing all day and eventually the projects go out into the wild and people get to look at them and hopefully enjoy them. Uh, and if I do my job right, uh, they don't think twice about who actually did it and what went behind it. <clears throat> so for me to have the opportunity to stand before you guys here this morning is incredible. So um, a huge thank you. Um, so yeah. I want to give a quick disclaimer. Um, I'm not an expert on the things that I'm going to be talking about uh, this morning. 
Uh, I'm simply a peer, speaking from experience, uh, and I did not go to college. I barely graduated high school, and I have no formal training. And the fact that you guys are still here right now and not walking for the door means a lot. That's good. Um, but yeah, so I know Ben introduced me, but again, my name is Brian Patrick Todd. Um, I'm a designer here in Louisville. Um, I specialize in lettering and um, type treatments. Um, I've had the opportunity to be part of some really amazing projects over the years um, and uh, freelancing for some cool campaigns and working with some really cool clients. Um, I've also done quite a few murals around uh, Louisville. Uh, some of you guys might have seen some of them around town. I even did, like Ben mentioned, my most recent one this past spring in uh, Tokyo, which was just like an absolutely insane experience. Now, I'm a, a little unusual in that creatively, I kind of have the best of both worlds. On top of doing all this freelance work for myself, I also, I also do uh, interactive design with the Forest Giant team, who are practically like my second family. So big shout out to FG. Um, but uh, we are not going to be talking about my work specifically this morning. However, I do want to get a plug in really quick. Feel free to go to brianpatricktodd.com and check out all the work. <laughs> um, so guys, the theme of this month is magic. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you here this morning are doing what you love? And not in a touchy-feely way, but like the work you create today is truly satisfying. For those of you fortunate enough to answer yes, I'm sure that you can remember that moment when you decided to pursue your passion. It was probably so exciting, it was so big and yet so scary. You saw the heroes and giants out there, there in the world making killer work, and you wanted in on the action. So day in and day out, you're all in, making sacrifices, giving it your all, and slowly but steadily, things start to click. The magic starts to happen. <laughs> I love that gif so much. Um, so magic seems like a funny word to use, but I do think that there's just something that we can't explain that boils deep down inside some of us. This weird thing that it's like we just can't shake. I'm calling this morning's talk, Chase the Magic. And I want to talk about holding on to that wonder and excitement as you pursue your passion. Now, really quick, I do think it's important that we define what I'm talking about when I use the word magic this morning. Uh, first off, it involves loving something. Or if love feels a little too cute, let's just say uh, something you deeply care about. Secondly, hard work. And I'm talking like the self-determined, roll up your sleeves and give it your all kind of work. When the two of those come together, that is where the magic is. Because when you care about something so much that you're giving it your all to make it better. And not because you have to, but because it's the thing that you want most. Now, regardless of how silly magic might feel to be talking about, I don't think any creative person, no matter where they are in their career, can deny the mystery of good ideas. Sometimes they come to us when we least expect it, like when we're walking our dog or we're lying in bed or we're grabbing cereal in aisle nine at the grocery. But other times, it's almost like ideas seem to taunt us with their absence when we need them most. When we're working late night, hitting creative block with a deadline looming. How many of us have had a boss at one time or another give us a job brief and then use the words jokingly, now go make some magic, and then walk away as our skin crawled? It's like, ah, oh, oh, that sounds so bad. I think, and because for anyone who put in years of hard work 
and dedication, the word magic almost feels a little insulting when you're talking about real creative work. It does. But still, it also does seem kind of weird, like, where the hell does this stuff come from? We wake each day, we go to work with the hope and expectation that we'll create these wonderful things. And some of them are really big, some of them are really small. We create routines and schedules for our work. We even set up our workspace so that we're nice and comfortable. And yet, none of it guarantees creative success. But we keep coming back for more. We're excited to see what we'll make next. I mean, is there anything more deeply satisfying than when the hours fly by as you're busy bringing your ideas and creations to life? Bottom line, I think for those of us who are fortunate enough to have found something that we're passionate about, our work is our reward. And we wake each morning expecting magic. Now, I'm a firm believer that people who do creative work for a living put a tremendous amount of faith in the unknown, which sounds like really weird. But that's right, the creative work life requires faith. Faith in our craft, faith in the process. I think probably most challenging of all, faith in ourselves. We fall in love with a path, whether it's art, design, music, whatever, and we hope those paths one day take us to places that we never even imagined. And we hear stories about it all the time, like Apple started out as a couple guys in a garage making computers. Shepard Ferry, before he became a famous artist, was making Andre the Giant stickers that were popping up and around all these different cities. And it's those stories and amazing work that we see out in the world that inspired us to take a chance at doing something that we love. Now, we hear it all the time, do what you love. But let's be honest for a minute. It's really hard trying to find something to love. Some of you may be sitting here this morning, and you're like, Brian, dude, you're talking about magic and doing what you love, but I'm just trying to get by right now, bro. And I hear you. Because we all want to be comfortable. We all have bills to pay. We all sometimes just need to make ends meet. We all want to provide for ourselves and for our families. And the thing is, we can do all that without actually loving what we do. But I think the thing is that for some, doing unfulfilling work can ultimately drive them to pursue something they actually care about. That moment when they look around at their circumstances and they say enough is enough. That's where it all starts. But don't get it twisted. It's a long journey from there, full of trial and error, taking chance after chance, falling down but continually getting back up again, trying to find a place among the quote-unquote creatives and artists in the world. For me, pursuing design was a lot like that. Now, um, as Ben mentioned earlier, I'm a self-taught designer, which made for a really long and challenging road, um, just trying to make something happen. This morning, I want to share a little bit of my story with you guys. The beginning. Um, so since I was a kid, I loved to draw. And I feel like every kid, every artist or designer says that, but it's true. But also, like, the more I think about it, I'm like, doesn't every kid basically love to draw? Like, you know who probably loved to draw when they were a kid? George W. Bush. <laughs> I don't know for a fact, but I'd say it's probably a safe bet that he made some pretty interesting works of art back in the day. Um, but seriously, for me, drawing took me to this magical place where I could, I could make up all these different worlds and characters. I could draw my favorite X-Men. I could be silly or serious depending on the mood I was in. My parents, they were incredibly supportive. They got me into art classes. Before long, I found myself in accelerated art prog programs. I got to see my work displayed at art shows and fairs. And then middle school rolled around. 
And something else caught my interest. And not girls. Well, sort of girls, but music. Specifically, punk rock. It became my goal to be the best bass player that I could be so that other bands would want me. And by high school, I completely traded in the visual arts and drawing for music. By my senior year, I was skipping class to go to guitar shops. I was ready to pursue rock music as a full-time job, and I meant it. A year after graduating high school, I moved to Nashville to join a band out of Austin, Texas. We toured around, recorded music, and it was great. But I was so, so broke. Um, but it didn't matter because I loved what I was doing. But eventually, Nashville wore us all down. The guys moved back to Austin. For me, I knew I wanted to be back home in Louisville. Now, fast forward a few years, I continued to play music, joining another band. I took odd-end jobs, and I even got married. By the time I was 24, I had a baby on the way. At the time, I was working as a youth counselor in a group home, and while the work I was doing was important in the lives of the kids that we served, I knew that I didn't want to do this forever. But yet, the funny thing is I had no idea what I really wanted to do. This baby was a wake-up call. Having a kid on the way, it meant I could no longer just like sit around and think about my future. I needed to make changes. For me, the most horrifying thing and idea that I could think of, more than even being broke, was the idea that my son would grow up watching his dad leading an unfulfilling life, just getting by, like I was at the time. I felt accountable to this baby to be better. Now, a few months before my son was born, my wife got me a used MacBook for my birthday, and I was a little thrown off by this gift, but we didn't have a computer at the home, so it was a definite upgrade for the household. <laughs> um, my wife immediately encouraged me to get Photoshop so we could start editing all these photos that we were taking. Um, now, this is when... Um, so this is when a very important transaction took place. My friend got me a bootleg copy of Photoshop, and everything changed. And, and really quick, can we talk for a second, like, how many design careers started with, like, a bootleg copy of Photoshop? It's, I'm paying my licensing fees now, we're good, like, Adobe's getting paid, but, like, oh my gosh. I'm just glad, I, yeah, I wasn't sure I was going to go over, but, yeah, I'm glad to know I wasn't alone. <laughs> so I started messing with Photoshop, and it wasn't the photo editing that actually caught my attention. It was this annoying little pen tool in the program, and it drove me crazy, but I was curious. So I started trying to use this thing to draw, and before long, all those old feelings of drawing as a kid came flooding back. I couldn't stop messing with it. The lines were so crisp, and you could use any shape or color you wanted. I actually even started taking the computer into work and drawing on it every morning, before the kids in the group home woke up. Like, I was obsessed. Then a funny idea hit me. What if I pursued graphic design? I had a few friends who did it. It seemed cool. I didn't fully understand how the business side of it worked, but for the first time in forever, something got me excited again besides music. Maybe this could be it. Maybe school didn't sound so bad anymore. I mean, I actually wanted to learn. So I looked up all the design schools around the region and beyond, and I quickly remembered two hard truths. One, I was an idiot in high school, and my grades showed for it. They were awful. <laughs> two, college costs a whole hell of a lot of money. So what was I to do? Now, this is when reality sunk in. So after a lot of conversations with my wife, we decided that if I truly wanted to make this happen, I would teach myself. And that meant that I'd have to make some major sacrifices. 
Now, I talked earlier about how exciting it is and how scary it is to pursue something that you care about. When I made this decision, I was absolutely terrified, guys. This was a very real risk that had very harsh consequences. I didn't have time to waste. I was in my mid-20s. I wanted to make this worthwhile. So I started buying beginner's guides, books about design theory, composition, and software, and I was soaking it all up. Instead of meeting friends on the weekend to grab drinks, I was settling in on the couch learning how to design. My goal was to be the best, most well-rounded designer that I could be. And after about six months, my friend was even able to get me a job as a designer at a small sign shop in town. Now, the pay was lower than what I had even been getting before, but it meant that I could actually call myself a designer. So I guess in like some small way, I was getting my foot through the door. This was so exciting for me, and it meant the world to me. But no sooner had I started to settle in nine months later, the shop had to downsize, let a few people go, and I was one of them. I was back at square one, and honestly, it felt like such a low blow. I had uh, all these design ideas, uh, these ideas of a design career, and they just felt blurry and worn out. So I sent my nearly empty resume, resume to countless studios and shops around town. I was desperate to keep my heads up, but no one was returning my calls. I, take a, I took a slate roofing gig that summer working high up in the air during what turned out to be a record heat wave. I'd come home every night exhausted covered in sweat and slate dust, and just like collapsed on the living room floor. Absolutely worn out. It wasn't long before I started to come to terms that maybe design wasn't a realistic career. This was not magical. Like we were talking about magic a minute ago, guys, like right here, right now where I was at, no magic. But near the end of the summer, I saw another small sign shop was hiring for a designer, so I decided to give it one more try. Miraculously, I got the job. It paid just above minimum wage, but it felt like a second chance. And for three years, I worked there Monday through Friday under a boss that I didn't care for, which, believe me, guys, is like putting it so mildly. Honestly, I often looked out the window wondering if I even made the right decision. Now, three years is a long time. But I made one promise to myself when I started. When someone walked through the door for a sign, and no matter how lame it was, I was going to make it as cool as possible. So like, let me give you an example. If you walked through the door and you wanted a yard sale sign, I was going to make the best damn looking yard sale sign <laughs> you've ever seen. I can't say that I really accomplished that, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but the funny thing is that not long into it, I started to notice something. The more effort I put into these silly signs, day in and day out, the more tolerable my job was. The days went by a little bit quicker, and I was challenging myself. But even more, I was gaining experience in print, and I was learning a ton of different processes that I still use to this day, by the way. Even cooler, about a year in, I started taking on freelance jobs for friends who were starting businesses, needed favors. Slowly, my nights were filling up with small design jobs. So instead of learning to design, I was just doing it. Band posters, merch, logos, church campaigns. It was crazy. And they're actually cool little jobs. So into my third year at the sign shop, finally, I had enough work in my portfolio. I decided it was time to give it a shot and reach out to some bigger studios in town. Over a six-month period, I sent out resumes, follow-up emails to no avail. Some places would be so kind to actually take the time and explain that I simply didn't have enough experience or education to make me qualified for the job. And you know what? They were right. 
Like seriously, on paper, I was a joke. Four years designing at sign shops, no industry experience, no references in a related field, but your work does look good, they'd often say. But instead of letting the rejection get to me, I kept grinding every day, going home and freelancing each night after I tucked my son into bed. My wife's constant encouragement, it got me through the times of doubt. But deep down inside, for some reason, and I still don't know why, I just felt like change was coming. It had now been four years since I got my first sign job, about the time that I would have earned a design degree had I gone that route. It was June of 2011, and I got an email back about a recent job I applied for. Here's the email. What? Guys, so we set up a time to interview, and guess what? I got the job. A salary, benefits, and all at a real studio. Like, this was for real. My wife could quit her job and stay home with our son and soon-to-be-born daughter. And after four years, finally, things started feeling magical again. But one thing you guys should know that when I started, I was probably the most insecure guy you had ever met. I walked around the halls scared that I'd be found out. I was a hack. I had so much to learn. This was a whole new level for me. But my boss and my coworkers, they were awesome. Sometimes it felt more like school instead of work. I mean, yes, I was working and very hard too, but I was learning so much. Basically getting paid to learn. That's incredible. And let's not forget about my freelance. It continued taking off, and I was really starting to become focused on lettering and type treatments. My work was starting to have its own style that people even were recognizing. I was now on a day and night work schedule. There were some really late nights, and I was having a hard time saying no. For me, the last thing I wanted to do is become too comfortable or complacent. I knew what it was like to lose something so important. And with my wife staying home with the kids, I was now the sole provider of our household. So I kept on working, and though so tired at times, I was grateful to be so busy. Now, it was during this time, a few months later, I saw a flyer on the wall at a coffee shop. Um, the Highlands Neighborhood Commerce Guild had a call out for artists to submit ideas for a mural. And um, when I saw a picture of this building, I remember like, looking at it and I was like, oh my God, like, somebody's going to paint something so ugly on that building. <laughs> I'm for real. Like, and I was like, oh. So the funny thing, though, is that Later that day, I kept thinking about that building. And almost upon impulse that week, I designed my idea for a mural, pasted it on, uh, pasted it on a, a foam core, and dropped it off day of deadline. A week later, I got a call. My mural design got picked. Now, I was so pumped, and they were even going to pay me to do it. But I realized something that I hadn't even considered. And like, this is, to this day, like, kind of insane to me that I don't know what I was thinking. I had no idea how to paint a mural let alone a 30-foot tall one, okay? Um, this is probably one of the most popular parts of town, uh, so there's no question that this could very likely be an absolute disaster. Um, but then I remembered my friend Brian from Monic Beer Company and Beer Engine in Danville hired this sign painter named Kirby to paint a logo that I designed over the entrance of their building. I got his contact, called him up, and I somehow talked him into doing it with me. He thought I was a little crazy. A few weeks later, we did it. And after two days of painting, it was done. So I got some photos, shout out Scotty Perry and Chris Higdon, and post them up on my website, and I carried on as usual. Now, really quick, guys, like, let's uh, recap what just happened. I came across something that quickly became an obsession for me. 
quietly over the course of a few days, the idea of this mural plagued my mind until I just had to take a chance. It was my responsibility to get this idea out, to bring it to life. Also, this was nothing like anything I've been working on for the last four years. But the last four years made me prepared for that moment. Now, no sooner than a week later, unknown to me, a popular design blog somehow picked up on the mural from my website and they shared the work. And then another blog and then another. All of a sudden, I was getting insane amounts of traffic on my site. Freelance inquiries were coming in from all over. And I realized that my work, under my own name, was finally connecting with people. Everything felt like it was changing so fast, but I made sure that my work ethic didn't change at all. A few months went by, I joined the Forest Giant team. It was great to have the opportunity to work with people that I really connected with during the day and continue to freelance for dream clients from my home studio in the evenings. For me, it was and it still is a very satisfying place to be creatively. Now, over the last four years, I've been a part of some really amazing projects. I've traveled the world seeing my designs come to life. And while the projects continue to get bigger and bigger still, I can't say that my approach to work has changed much. I wake daily and I make the most of the time that's given me. Experience continues to make me wiser. Having learned about contracts, licensing, and negotiating with big-name clients, I could talk another hour about that stuff. But at the end of the day, all I want is to be back in the driver's seat designing. For me, that's where the magic is. So what's the takeaway? It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, earlier, I talked about how hard it is in the beginning. When you want something so bad, everything that you create feels so big and so important. For anyone here this morning, whether you're just starting out or maybe you're several years in still trying to make it work, I want to encourage you, be patient. Committing to the same small things every day can, over time, change everything. I promise you. Magic comes and goes. Look, uh, not every day feels magical. Uh, in fact, I think it's the quiet, in-between days that far outnumber the exciting days. But you have to keep going because you're chasing that magic. Family matters. Not this family matters. <laughs> TGIF. A few guys might remember that. Um, but I talk, I don't, okay. <laughs> oh, instant regret, okay. I talked a lot about work this morning, but guys, like family is everything. Whether relatives, partners, or your closest friends, they'll be the ones to talk you off a ledge when it feels like the world's falling apart. They'll also be the ones to knock you off your high horse when your ego gets out of control. The ones you love should be a constant reminder of what matters most. Put in work. Now look, it, whether it's school, an internship, or a job, be the one that's working just a little bit harder than the others. And I'm not just talking about the hours between 9 to 5. A Tuesday evening could be a great opportunity to go home and play video games all night after work, but it can also be a great opportunity to get better at the one thing that you want most. And here's the secret. Almost everyone's going home and watching Netflix or playing video games anyways. Just don't get managing your time while confused with being a workaholic. Go big and go home. And I credit my friend Aaron Marshall for this phrase. It's now easier than ever to do what you love from anywhere. Yes, like New York and San Francisco will always be alluring, and there's amazing opportunities to be found there. But if you love your city, and you want to do big things from the place that you call home, do it. Make work so good that New York can't ignore you. 
Because you'd be surprised who's watching and listening out there. But it all starts with you. Chase the magic. Thank you, guys. More from my conversation with Brian in a minute. But first, we have to take care of some business. And this week's episode is also made possible by SiteGround. This is Maurice Cherry, the founder and host of a podcast called Revision Path. Revision Path is an award-winning weekly showcase where uh, I interview black designers, developers, creative technologists, etc., pretty much from all over the world. And we are on SiteGround now, which is great. Uh, We were on a previous host, which was always a handful of issues, and um, eventually we made the jump to SiteGround, and it's... I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, honestly. What kind of issues? It just became more problems than it was worth. Our site was slow. Okay. The site itself has grown from just being a place where you can listen to uh, the podcast. When people are listening to it, when they hear Revision Path, of course, they're going to go to revisionpath.com because that's just kind of what we're conditioned to do. That's the last thing that you want to worry about. If you've got all this other stuff that you're doing... You don't want to, you know, all of a sudden get email saying that the site is down. And so you're unhappy once you decide to make the move to SiteGround handle everything else? The good thing about SiteGround that I really enjoy is they will migrate you over automatically from your old host to your new host, which immediately takes an entire level of worry off of you. You know, it's one thing to decide, oh, which host am I going to go with? But then you're like, I have to move everything over but SiteGround just made it simple and effortless yeah they're like focus on you we got this. <laughs> yeah they're like we got it and right now you can get up to 60 percent off at siteground.com slash creative siteground web hosting crafted with care listening to your talk reminds me of those conversations that you want to have with other freelancers but it would probably be socially unacceptable at like mm-hmm. a first yeah. meeting do you know what i mean like yeah totally you don't just meet someone new and then ask them right out of the gate, how did you like, how did you fake it for so long? Oh, dude, absolutely. I think that's for me, um, you know, in the design world, I've seen a lot of talks and by people that I really respected or people that I was really curious about. And there were so many times where they would, you know, they share their work and they talk about all these cool things and they're like, oh yeah. Um, you know, they just, you know, they do this cool project with like, they'll do something with like some big brand, like, I don't know, I'll just make it up like Coca-Cola or something. And you're just like, man, that's awesome. But like, how the hell did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> or like, how did that happen? You know? And you're like, it's just kind of this like established thing where they have like, they're just successful. And there's like this big curtain where you're just like, what's behind all this? Like, or you want to know, like, how did you get into it? And like, has it been like this from the start or did, you know, what was it like? So, um, you know, for me, the one thing I always wanted to hear more of is like that story. And I think like, it is kind of weird when you meet somebody and you're just like, you know, a complete stranger and you just want to start talking about backstories and like where you came from, it's not something that most people would do. But I think it's a weird thing. Like in Creative Mornings, you have this platform to just talk about whatever you want. So then you start sharing your story and all this. And it's like, I was like, man, this is this is the chance to do it. There's just something um, within Creative Mornings, like you just, people want to be honest. It's like the platform of just like, be real. like. Lay it all out there. So I think that's actually the reason why this talk is so relatable, because regardless of being self-taught like yourself or schooled, there's still that initial period of time where everyone has to go out into the world and meet people and get work and, you know, socialize and network. You still got to get out there and do it. And um, I think uh, there were some people that were asking my uh, afterwards that my thoughts about education, um, because there's and I know some fellow like designers, 
creatives, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but like that, um, feel very strongly actually like would argue against, you know, school, uh, you know, in some fields, that's just where they feel very strongly for me though. Um, I would give anything to be a 20 year old who knew what I wanted to do and was surrounded by people that were, you know, critiquing what I was doing, like helping me get better, you know, surrounded by more of that, you know what I mean? Cause I was on the opposite end, just like out there, like an Island. So for me, you know, I don't regret anything. There's, you know, nothing like that. However, um, I think there's an incredible opportunity to be had going to school. Definitely. I think there's some incredible opportunities, you know, but there's pros and cons. Oh yeah, always. But it, it is interesting to hear you say that you would, you would go back to school. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those, it, it's, um, like I remember in high school, like when I was a senior in high school, I had no idea what I wanted. Well, I mean, I wanted to be, I wanted to play rock and roll. So I went and did that and then learned that that doesn't actually pay the bills for most people pursuing right. it. But with that said, like, I remember there was, um, a couple people that at, you know, at 18 senior year of high school, they knew what they wanted and they cared so much. And I remember like, I was impressed, you know, I think a lot of people don't know that though. Yeah. But are those people still doing that thing? Some of them, are. <laughs> <laughs> right. some of them haven't, but yeah. And I, I know people that went to design school and ended up getting burnt out and, you know, dropped out. I don't know. It, it's one of those things like it could go a lot of different ways for me though. Um, I know that I was all in once I knew what I wanted. I think the biggest thing that I, I wanted to take the opportunity to say, though, is that um, my my path was different, and I don't though want to discredit any opportunities that a college student hearing that talk would think that maybe they're you know doing the wrong thing or like you know wasting their time or money because they're not. It's just a different path. I guess that at the end of the day is what I'd like to say. Well, cool. You just said it. Um, and before we let you go, we just have one last question. If you went back 10 years and met yourself, what's one thing that you would share with him? Um, that's actually, I'm trying to think that's somebody asked, we had a Q and a afterwards and they asked a similar question. Um, I think for me, if I could go back 10 years and meet myself at the time when I first was getting into things, um, I would let myself know that it's all going to work out and then it's going to be a long time. Like it's going to be a long time before you start seeing the, you know, the fruits of your labor. Um, because I think the most challenging part for me throughout my journey, trying to pursue design and, and make it work was that I felt very, very defeated and very alone for a long time. There were there was a lot of nights where I, I honestly I was just questioning everything and if I had the chance to go back and just say look it's a little bit every day you know which will grow to be so much you just have to put the small stuff in every you know in and out every day and it will slowly become something but like you know just stay with it um, I think that's what I would do I just assure myself like you're doing it just stay with it because like there was so many so many days where I just want to throw in the towel. Nice, man. Well, thank you so much for your time with this, Brian, and best of luck with everything. You too. Take it easy, man. You too. Bye. Peace. Hey, if you like what we've been doing, please head over to the iTunes podcast page and leave us a rating or review. Thank you very much. Next week, we'll hear from Sarah Hernholm. 
the founder of WIT, which stands for Whatever It Takes, an organization providing a college credit social entrepreneur course to high school teens focused on developing leaders and solving real social issues. Why am I so willing to take risks when it comes to helping other people, but not when it comes to something that could help me? Our thanks to Brian Patrick Todd and everyone at Creative Mornings. This episode was produced and edited by S. Mateo with sound engineering, mixing, and original score by Devin C. Johnson at Little Library Studios in collaboration with S. Mateo Music. This week's rooster comes courtesy of Fabrizio in Rome. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Morning. Remember, it's singular. And use hashtag PodcastCM when you tweet at us. For a complete archive of talks or just to get involved, go to creativemornings.com.